Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about SEO implementation, how you can get uh, results, traffic, sales, uh, and uh, choose the right strategy, implement, and uh, many, many other stuff. I'm excited to discuss this topic with John Marabita. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me, Anatoly. Yeah, for me, it's a big pleasure to get experts on my show, to learn from them, uh, to share all these skills with my audience. Before we start, just tell more about your self-experience background and why you decided to take this topic about SEO implementation and testing. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been doing SEO since about 2010, so around 12 years now. Um, I've been in the agency world for about eight years or so, where today I'm the VP of SEO at Stellar Rising, which is a uh, full-service media agency, but we also have a pretty big SEO team, and we handle some really exciting clients here at the agency. So um, basically leading my team over the last five-plus years as, as director and now VP, um, one of the things that continually would come up is we're making all these great recommendations, but clients are either struggling to implement them, taking too long to implement them. And then, you know, as the, as clients or, um, you know, businesses and partners that we work with are trying to see improvements to their site, they'll come back to us and say, well, how, how come things are, you know, how come I'm not getting more traffic? And it's like, well, did you do the stuff that we asked you to do on the website? And they're like, no, no, we didn't do any of that stuff, but we want more sales. So when are we going to get more sales? And it's like, well, when you do the stuff that we told you to do on the website. And so it's kind of this like cyclical conversation that we would end up having with people sometimes. Um, and so, you know, we, it, it became clear pretty early on that aside from just, you know, reminding clients on a call when we talked to them that we needed a more thought through framework for how to approach implementation. Um, and then it also, you know, started becoming clear that we needed some tools to help us with that and in ways that we can do it to basically overcome limitations within CMS platforms. And so that kind of brought us to uh, to a couple, you know, innovations that, that we'll talk about as we kind of unravel things here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk uh, about your team. Can you tell how to manage a big team? Uh, I want to ask this question because I often see when companies are looking for jack of all trades, they want to find SEO specialists who will provide everything, link building, content creation, uh, website optimization, mm. many, many, uh, SEO analytics, many other stuff. But you know, I think uh, it's not a good way because it's really hard to find specialists who knows everything. It's better to cooperate with a team of specialists. Can you tell more about that? How, how do you yeah. find good specialists in your team and uh, uh, tell about management? Because it's not simple when you lead a team, not uh, a few people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where we, when I started at the company, we were about six people. Um, well, actually, it was more like three and a half, four. Um, today, we are about to welcome our 12th team member. And so we've grown substantially. And as you said, it's not really, it's certainly not easy. Um, but we have found some ways of approaching that I think are making things, you know, fairly manageable. So in, first, in regard to kind of management structure and how we structure things, I would say kind of for us, one of the pivotal points that really helps to accelerate our ability to grow 
was having two associate directors. So just basically breaking up your middle management layer. Um, you know, and for a while when it was like six or seven of us, it was me and one other associate director. Um, I do a lot of the thought leadership and new business and that type of stuff. Um, and I, you know, at the time was doing a lot of management of the team as well. And then my associate director was trying to manage a whole bunch of people and it was just too, too many people. So I think one of the things is to kind of like max out at, you know, maybe three or four direct reports. Um, because when you get past that, you don't really have time to do your own work and to spend time with people and to mentor them and to coach them and to really lean in and make sure that you're giving them the support that they need. And so right now, our associate directors manage a max of three other resources on their team. Um, and that actually, there might be one that's managing four. So I take it back. So four is the maximum. Um, but that enables them to spend more time with those individuals and not have to manage like a, a, a ten, you know, group of 10 people. So that was one kind of, you know, obvious but really meaningful shift that we made in the way that we were structuring the team. Um, now, in terms of specialization, this kind of goes with that, which is the two associate directors we have kind of um, have different skill sets or different specialties within SEO. So everyone on the Stellar Rising team manages our client accounts and relationships end to end. So they are doing all aspects of SEO, but we organize our teams in a structure where they're, we're matching what team that project goes to based on that project's needs and what like the sort of core competency of that particular account should be. So for example, we're talking, um, or actually we just, we just, you know, engage with a very large publisher website that isn't interested in our content strategy at all. They just have a bunch of technical issues. And so we have a technical team that does on page and does offsite stuff, but their core competency is within technical and that account goes to the technical team. We have other accounts where it's a small website. There's not a ton of pages. There's not a lot of need for technical, but they need a lot of content and they need a lot of content strategy. So we have a team that is mostly aimed at content strategy. And we do have members of the team that have their own sort of core competencies within that. So we have people on the team that have a lot of experience with link building and outreach. And so outreach projects and that type of stuff tend to go to them. So I do think you're, you're right that at a certain point of scale, you're not going to keep, if you need to staff a team of 12 people, you're not going to keep finding people that are really, really good at every part of SEO. Um, and really the best that you can hope for is that you have well-rounded individuals who are hungry to learn about other aspects of SEO, but have like one area that they're really, really good at. And then you want to leverage their capability within that one area, whilst also giving them the opportunity to grow their skill set in other areas. So I think it's, it is a delicate balance. I will say we do not believe in the idea of having like one person that does technical and one person that does the on-page and one person that does outreach because every SEO project needs all of those things generally or like needs some facet of those areas. And we've not found it to work well to have like one client kind of have like a ton of people that are on that because it's really not clear like who's doing what kind of thing. And we really want that one person who's managing that account to build a really deep relationship with that client. And so for us, it's really about becoming an expert in that client's business, becoming a true partner to them. And I will say it's a bit difficult to have like a team of like six people or five people or four people doing different facets of SEO really, really, really get in there with the business. 
Um, but sometimes we do have like larger accounts where that is how we're structuring things. And we have our content strategist, we have an outreach person, we have the main point of contact. But still in those cases, the main point of contact is really the one owning the relationship, building those deep bonds. Um, and so it's a little bit like bringing in kind of like extra support for different specialties. So that's a mm -hmm. bit about how we approach. Yeah, well explained. <laughs> I love it. Can you tell more about uh, finding the right people to your team? Uh, because it's not simple today. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, when I check out uh, who are looking for a jobs, uh, uh, some of them are not good enough. You know, they're not ready to uh, be an expert. Uh, tell yeah. more about your approaches to find the right specialist. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have, you know, I, I we're lucky enough that I have great HR team that helps to support us mm -hmm. and will help to identify potential candidates. Um, we have a bit of a long interview process. So it starts with basically my team getting to meet whoever these candidates are. Um, and then we give them an evaluation. So we, you know, I don't like to put people on the spot, like on a first call meeting, you know, us because people are nervous in interviews and and I really don't think SEO is kind of about knowing the answer to everything. I think sometimes, you know, certain SEOs think that, that they have to kind of know and be, be able to respond to everything. And sometimes they'll just make stuff up. That's not really how SEO works. A lot of what we do, you have to kind of go off and research and you might be doing it for 20 years and you still have to kind of remember how something works. And so we give people kind of like a take home test where we tell them, you're welcome to do research to answer these questions. Like that's how it works in the real life, right? Like if you have a question, you know the answer, you go to Google and you research it. And really the critical thing is like, where are you getting your information, right? Like, are you able to identify the good sources of information and maybe the ones that are a little bit like, you know, in it for the money, kind of like producing not so great content. Um, maybe they're even borrowing content from other websites um, and, you know, just regurgitating stuff. And so it's really about, giving them a, a set of questions that help us to evaluate where they're at in SEO. There's questions about EAT, there's questions about technical SEO, um, and we encourage them to take their time with that. And then we review the answers to that. And when we see that there's really good substance to the way that they're responding to things, um, that's when we kind of take us further. And, and that process has worked pretty well to make sure that we're bringing people onto the team that have the right skill set that can you know answer these foundational questions and really more importantly than having like the right answer for every question, it's, you know, can you write about SEO in a way that makes sense and, um, you know, is, is clear? Are you a good communicator? Because um, even if you don't have exactly the right answer, but you can say where you got the research and you can communicate well, um, you know, we can always kind of teach facts, but it's really difficult to teach things like appropriate corporate communications. and um, you know, writing, right? Like spelling and grammar, those are tough things to teach someone. And so we're looking for stuff like that um, to ensure that someone, you know, again, can put themselves forth in a professional manner. And then from there, um, you know, occasionally we'll ask for some work samples or something like that. So I guess the short, the short answer is we do a lot of vetting of the people that come onto the team and we want to make sure that we can see evidence that they have the skill set and not just speak to it because you're right. There's a lot of people that can sound like they know what they're talking about, but then, you know, you kind of see that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's maybe not the latest and greatest when it comes to information. So, yeah. And it's difficult. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, but it's possible. <laughs> you know, when you sure. have the right For approach. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we got a great team uh, right now. I'm, I'm so happy with the people that we have on our team. So nice nice okay i have the uh, next question about uh, seo strategy because before implementation we need to find the right strategy and you know from my experience i can see when webmasters are chasing high volume keywords they open ahrefs SEMrush, many other recognizable tools find high volume keywords and started to create content with these topics and it's hard to overcome some authoritative websites that have uh, high quality content can you tell more about creating the right content strategy uh how uh, how to filter out because when you see a list of keywords you know some people can think oh my god they can get a lot of traffic sales yeah i, I need to do it and 91 of all websites have no organic reach according to hrs right how to create the strategy that will lead bring traffic and sales yeah it's a great question so a couple different sort of i don't know ways of thinking about this is first off i tend to not pay too much attention to keyword volume. I, I obviously it's important, but what I'm really paying attention to is if I am, you know, I, I have like a little toy on my desk. It's a Christmas ornament, it's a train. So uh -huh. we'll talk about trains. So if I'm a website that sells model trains, um, you know, sure I could, I could, okay. Best model trains. There's a bunch of volume for that. And yeah, I might go after that. But really, like, is that the most important question that my consumers are asking? And so I sort of go back to, like, if, if I didn't have any SEO tools, what are the questions that people have about this? And, and I will go as granular as I possibly can. So something with, like, model trains, like, you know, what's the difference between HO scale and S gauge? Or what's the difference between Lionel and American Flyer? Um, you know, these might be things that, regardless of volume and competition, I know that someone who's going to come onto my website might be asking. So I really just start with kind of like a mind map of whatever it is that I'm looking at. And then I'll start looking at volume and difficulty in terms of determining the priority of what we're producing. Um, I'm often looking at the difficulty of the terms that we already rank in the top 10 for. So if you're starting out from nothing, then obviously you need to target very low difficulty terms until you start to build trust and build momentum within Google. But let's say that your website already ranks for you know, 10,000 terms and you're just looking to grow to 50,000 or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'll look at where we already have strong rankings. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll just average the difficulty of the keywords that are on page one or better yet, the keywords in position one through three. And let's say that there's an average difficulty of 10 then I'm going to go for keywords at first that have a difficulty that's lower than 10. And in doing so, based on the average difficulty of the terms that we tend to rank for, we typically see that you know, those are terms that are easier for us to rank for. It's not a perfect science because obviously difficulty is based on that particular SERP, not your keywords in your website per se. Um, but it does tend to kind of pan out that like, look, if we're able to rank for all these difficulty four terms, then if I go create new content, the targets terms that are difficulty for, then I'll probably be able to perform for those. Um, so that's just like, again, like a quick litmus test that I use to determine, is it something that we can go after? But I think, mm -hmm. again, I really come back to like, uh, it sounds, you know, uh, almost like, um, <laughs> it sounds like not the direction someone who's been doing SEO so long would go in terms of like, forget tools, just like use your brain. But like, that's really kind of where I come at a lot of content strategy 
Um, but then of course you need to back it up. You need to be looking at whether or not people are searching those things. Um, and then there's, you know, cool ways that you can find like zero volume search terms, like look at people also ask, look at Quora, look at other like sort of like question and answer based communities or websites um, and, and look at the activity, right? Are a lot of people asking that? Are a lot of people responding to it? Does it have a lot of upvotes on Reddit or something like that? Um, and that tells you that there's interest there, even if the tools tell us that there's nothing. And they create content mm -hmm. around that. Yeah, go at that. Uh, by the way, guys, you can find keyword difficulty on uh, almost all tools, uh, Ubersuggest, Ahrefs, Moz, uh, SEMrush, uh, uh, Majestic, many others, you know, just choose yours. Yeah, you can find this metric. And, you know, it's interesting that some specialists ignore this metric. Others can tell that, uh, yeah, it's better to uh, consider. Uh, I think uh, you need to find the balance because uh, yeah. I usually search for metrics, a lack of quality content. You know, for me, it's more important than keyword difficulty because when uh, I uh, create my content plan, I usually ask uh, clients, can you create something better, much better content? If you can't, great point. Yeah, it's really to try to overcome other authoritative websites, yeah. uh, even if they have uh, low keyword difficulty, but uh, content it's great, you know, yeah, or branding can help them. So yeah, it, it always depends. That's a great point. Like if mm -hmm. it, it might be, again, a place to also not pay a ton of attention to difficulty, because even if a term has a reasonably high difficulty, but let's say you're, you're writing about model trains and you're the person that invented, you know, a certain type of train, right? And you're going to write about that mm -hmm. train. Like you're going to do a better job than anyone else that's ever written about that thing. If you are the foremost expert in whatever that is, um, I think Google is getting better and better at detecting real world expertise, obviously with the AT and the core algorithm updates and stuff where links, which is basically what difficulty is based on, right? Difficulty in most tools are based on the number of backlinks and authority of the pages in the top 10 that stuff becomes less important than the actual quality of the content and your expertise in that subject matter. So much like you, we do ask clients, you know, is this something that we think we can really create oops, the, the best page on the internet for this? Yeah. Thing? Um, and if not, then maybe that's not the right thing for you to be going after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, can you tell about priorities? How to choose priorities? For example, if, um, I find uh, a good list of keywords with low, uh, uh, with a lack of quality content, uh, low keyword difficulty. But how to choose priorities? Because uh, even big companies uh, have uh, limited resources; they can't mm. share a lot. For example, I cooperated with some companies that, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, share with SEO, small budget, uh, so they have other priorities, that's okay, you know, uh, but uh, how to choose priorities uh, with limited resources, for example, if I can create like uh, one, two pages a month, uh, like yeah. branding, you know, <laughs> usually does, uh, but high quality content and I can provide like, I don't $10,000 per month for link building campaigns, uh, I can't cover all uh, possible uh, content ideas that I have. Tell more about priorities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what I would probably do, and we face this all the time, is it's it's kind of a ranking and stacking of the total opportunity for that term and how difficult we think it's going to actually be to perform for it. So not necessarily keyword difficulty, but like what do we think the likelihood is that we're going to actually be able to rank for this term? And then lastly, what is the commercial value of this? 
right? Like, is this something, obviously blogs and, and content, we're not always expecting a user to buy from the website or to reach out to us and take that like lead action that first time. But do we really think that this is something that could eventually lead to a meaningful interaction with the user? Or are we just creating content to get traffic? So if something fits the bill of having good enough demands, having reasonably low difficulty, or you know, we think that we can actually rank for it and there's a good commercial value, then we kind of quantify those things. And then you can literally just put them in a spreadsheet and sort by you know, what has the lowest difficulty, highest potential value, highest potential commercial impact. Um, and then we go after those first. Sometimes mm -hmm. also just like, you've got a bunch of content to create, um, you're gonna, if you're having the con the client create it, or even if you're just, you know, you're creating it for the client, I would also sometimes just ask them what they want to, you know, like, here's a list of 50 things that are great that we could produce and they would help to drive traffic. But like, what do they want to see on the website? Because ultimately, you know, like with agency services is a service business and mm -hmm. you want to, you don't want to push them into like, no, we have to write about this thing when they're all kind of, to an extent, they're fairly equal in their opportunity and difficulty. Um, I would see whatever the client's excited about writing about or getting onto their website, you know? Or another sort of thing is like, where else might you use this? So we're producing content for SEO, but like, what's your newsletter schedule look like? What are you posting mm -hmm. on social? Which of these ideas do you think would lend itself to you helping to distribute this content? And that's again, why it's important to make sure that you're not sort of selling it as like, Oh, I know you don't really want to talk about this, but it, but there's SEO volume and we can put it on your website. We'll get traffic. It'll be great. And it's like, well, if they don't want to push that out in their email, if they don't want to share that on social, then it probably doesn't have that much of a commercial value to them. And you're probably not going to get a bunch of traffic from it anyway. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I don't know, there's, there's a few different dimensions to that. Uh, you mentioned about uh, writing content, uh, but you know, um, uh, I often see when uh, companies have no experience with that, even big companies, uh, they uh, usually reply to me, uh, I need to uh, handle my competition, you know, to improve, develop my products, innovate it. Uh, but how I can create content, uh, write text if I have no experience with that. And you know, it's interesting that uh, 10 years ago in my company, I had a team of copywriters who, who wrote about everything. Then Google changed attitudes. We have the parameter EAT when people need to understand the topic. And I got it. Uh, you need to find good copywriters who know the topic. Uh, can you tell from your experience how to help? clients to find copywriters who can uh, write awesome text, high quality text uh, by sharing some valuable insights because many comp companies are still fighting with that in how to find yeah. good copywriters. Yeah. This is a great question because we're actually doing more and more of this. So we have a client in the dental B2B space. So they sell mm -hmm. dentistry equipment to, to dentists. So, you know, basically dental supplies. Um, and we're doing part of our engagement with them is to focus on content. And so for them, I literally, so silly, I Googled dental B2B copywriter and I interviewed <laughs> all of the copywriters that have enough sense to have a website where they're marketing themselves against this. Um, and we identified someone who actually has written a lot of blogs for this website's competition. And so it's like, look, this is who's writing the content that's outranking us. We found them and they're willing to, for a fee, write content for you. 
So, I mean, very often it's me looking for someone who proclaims to be a subject matter expert in that area. And that's obviously the most obvious path. Um, but there's other ways that you can do it. Like sometimes we look at kind of reverse engineer things and say, okay, who wrote this article? And then go try to find them on like LinkedIn, then sort of make our way and find their personal website and then get their contact info and reach out to them and say, hey, we noticed you wrote this piece for, you know, Healthline about this thing. And we're actually looking for some really high quality medical content on our website. Would you be interested in partnering with us? Um, and so, you know, ultimately the, the, the bad news is that it costs more than using, you know, people who are generalist copywriters. Uh, but the good news is that many of the good news for us, maybe difficult news for them, but many of the people who write for these publications have to write for a ton of other publications in order to make a decent living off of it. And so a lot of the authors you see on some, you know, some of the more authoritative sites write for a ton of other websites, like particularly in like the beauty space, which we work in a lot, people would write for OK Magazine and Cosmo and Self, and they write for a ton of these different publications. Um, and so you can basically just look at who's writing this stuff and see if they're open to freelance projects. Um, so I just find content that I like and hit up those people. Um, another way that we approach this, which is like, okay, well, what if the client doesn't have budget for that? You know, because we've seen the cost per word, like for a generalist be 17 cents, 15 cents, something like that per word for these specialists who have like industry subject matter expertise or credentialed and, you know, have an education in that or something like that. We've seen prices up to a dollar per word. So a thousand word article is going to cost you a thousand bucks. It's not very scalable if you don't have the budget to handle that. And so what we'll do is work with internal subject matter experts who have no aspirations of being a writer. They don't think of themselves as a writer and just simply conduct an interview with them. Like what are the most salient points that we need to know about this subject matter? Um, you know, what would you say to someone if they asked you this? And we just take thorough notes. We create an outline of the information that comes from the true subject matter expert. We push it out to a writer that has, you know, some experience writing for that category, but might not be like a credentialed, dedicated subject matter expert in plumbing, let's say, but they write a lot of home content. Um, and then we would take that back to a subject matter expert before it goes up on the website. And I will say, we've been doing that since long before EAT was, you know, something that we were aware of. It was probably, it, it's always been there, right? Like this idea of expertise, authoritative, and trustworthy has always been there. But we were doing this in like 2015, um, before the quality readers guidelines were published and anything like that. So, mm. um, so we were doing basically that we would get subject matter expert bullets, we'd do an outline and we'd bring the article back to a subject matter expert to be reviewed. So I, I would say that if you can't get someone who's credentialed or true deep industry expertise, at least have someone who has that level of expertise reviewing the content. Um, and then you can say that on the article, you know, if it's a bit of diet information, you could say like written by Rachel, whatever, and reviewed by so-and-so registered dietitian or something like that. And then that's kind of how we approach. Mm -hmm. So valuable. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, I usually explain to my clients, uh, if you have only, uh, let's imagine, uh, 
thousand dollars, um, then it's better to pay this thousand dollar for someone who is charging uh, one dollar per word, you know, <laughs> uh, then uh, to uh, other ten texts who can charge like hundred dollar for per text, you know, per article. So uh, because you can get much better quality, and Google yeah. cares about quality, you know, yeah, than about quantity. So yeah, yeah, for I sure, for sure. I, I, you know, and, and in many cases, and, and that's why we we know those prices because we're working with a lot of those writers who who want, um, or rather, clients want that level of expertise in what's being written. Another thing mm-hmm. we started doing is literally, like I kind of was touching on it, but we're actually targeting journalists. So instead of targeting someone who like refers to themselves as a freelance writer or a copywriter. We're looking for people that are actually journalists that like write for they have a column in like a regular newspaper or something like that. And they're used to the sort of investigative journalism approach where they actually do very deep research. They conduct interviews and taking that sort of uh, approach to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, can you tell more about testing? Uh, because SEO testing uh, takes time. You know, for example, uh, we, if we provide SEO testing with pay-per-click campaigns, you can analyze results for a few days, you know, uh, even right. for a few hours. But SEO testing sometimes takes months. Can you tell how to provide this testing uh, to analyze yeah. that something is good or not? Yeah, and because uh, sometimes we don't have this time, you know, with testing. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's so much to talk about with testing. I would say the the first thing is that we'll talk about some tools that we're using, and there's some really cool tech out there that you can use. But you don't need necessarily to have a tool. You just you 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 basically want to approach things from what we call an initiative based reporting perspective. And so, you know, for example, sometimes agencies will do some work on your website, and then they'll give you a monthly report of how the whole site's doing. And if things go up, it's the work that we just did. If things go down, it's the Google algorithm. Google made an update. It's not our fault, right? And so it's kind of this like very broad view of what's happening on the website. What we do is when we make a recommendation, for instance, like we were just going over the other day, the results from um, some table of contents updates. So we told the client, look, we have these 20 articles that we want you to add table of contents to so that you link to all of the different key sections within the article. And then we you know, tracked when we made that change. And then we gave it like two months. And as you said, it can take a lot of time. You really want to let things kind of like settle in before you try to measure whether or not it had an impact. Um, and we gave it about two months. And then we looked back at kind of that time period year over year versus a control group of articles that had a similar amount of traffic, but did not have the table of contents. And so in that sense, there was a lot of manual work that went into saying, okay, these articles in aggregate have 50,000 sessions per month. I need another set of 20 articles that are from the same website that have around 50,000 sessions per month. That's our control group. This is our test group. And then we looked at the data from a year over year and a period over period perspective. And what we found was that when we add a table of contents to these pages, we add an increase in traffic. We also had an increase in user engagement, um, things like time on page and um, bounce rate actually went down. So the, the, from that, we could, we could basically conclude that these table of contents updates 
helped our users and thus helped our pages and, and traffic increase to the page. And so now we're doing that for a lot of our articles. Um, so that's kind of like the scrappy free way of doing a test where you, you make one controlled change to a page, you isolate the, the test group, you isolate a control group, and then you basically do some analysis of those two groups against each other. Um, we have begun doing more true A-B testing. And so we are actually partners with SEMrush um, and we were very early on in their beta of their tool called Split Signal, which works a lot like SearchPilot. If you've heard of SearchPilot where you can literally change any element on a page and then the tool will help you to run a statistically significant test, which I believe uses the uh, Google forecasting algorithm and uh, what's called a Bayesian model. So I'm not a, I'm not a statistician. I don't quite understand exactly what, what, what exactly that means. But what I do know is that they have an entire data analytics team that makes sure that this data is sound. And what it will do is it will literally tell you what the predicted number of clicks against your test group would have been based on historical traffic and based on the performance of your control group. Um, and then we'll tell you whether or not the test is seeing fewer clicks or more clicks than the forecasted number of clicks. So in this case, they're not comparing a control to a test. They're comparing a test to what would happen if there was no test in flight based on a linear forecast of the historical data for that particular group. With this tool, we've done things like um, add and remove elements to a page, change header tags, these types of things. Um, and it can tell you pretty quickly on, this is really like more like 20 days, 30 days, you'll start to have it be really clear. Um, and it will actually end the test when it reaches a certain level of statistical confidence. And so it's a really cool tool that enables you to do A-B testing. Kind of the catch is that you need to have a pretty large number of similar pages. Um, and then you also need to have a pretty big amount of traffic. I believe it's 50,000 per month over a set of around 300 pages. And so it's, it's not really for everyone. Um, I've not used it personally, but seotesting.com um, is a tool I've heard a lot of good things about. And then another tool that we use is called SEO Scout. And we love SEO Scout. SEO Scout will enable you to do like basic testing where it's kind of like a before and after. So you can implement a title tag and meta description change, for example, and it, the tool will track from two days after you launch that test to give Google time to index it, um, what the performance of that page is kind of before and after, and will tell you pretty easy to read information about whether or not clicks have improved or impressions have improved or average position has improved. Um, so we've used that tool a lot, particularly for like title tag and meta description testing, but there's a lot more that you can do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, interesting. Uh... I have the question about uh, learning SEO, how to learn. For example, if you started today without any skills, experience, knowledge, anything, you know, and you just want to jump on this field, what would you do to learn SEO? Yeah, so learning, um, this wasn't, a, I wish this was around back when I was learning SEO, uh, but learning seo.io i think is alita solis's website yeah mm -hmm. so learning seo.io it's it's just like 
one of the best curated collections, I think, ever of information that different SEOs put out there. Um, I Maybe I'm dreaming or hoping, but I think I might have an article that she links to somewhere on here. Uh, but there's just like a bunch of great content. So she compiles articles and content from all different areas of SEO. You can look at things like learning fundamentals or how to execute SEO or deepen you know, technical backlinks, content. So there's a lot of great information there. Um, I think that some of my favorite places to learn about SEO, which aside from starting out, like I still, you still have to do it your entire career. So if anyone's early on in their career, listening, I'm going to learn SEO and then I can, I can stop this whole learning thing. No, it never stops. You have to just continually be learning. And so some of the places that I still go to learn about SEO today um, would be podcasts. So Dan Shore, Experts on the Wire, um, a lot of that stuff like really holds up to the test of time. Uh, so what I mean by that is some of the episodes go back to like 2017 or something like that. And you'll still hear stuff that's like, oh my God, wow, I should be doing that going back to 2017. Um, I don't think he publishes them anymore, which is a bummer, but um, that was a really great show. Then uh, Marie Haynes podcast, the, the Search News You Can Use podcast is obviously a good way to keep up with what's happening from a news perspective. Um, conferences, you know, if you can afford the opportunity to go to a conference, it is both kind of like a, an explosion of new insights and things that you learn about, but it's also like a really like, like almost like life path affirming experience where you're like you're around all these other SEOs who are so passionate about it and you get to fully immerse yourself in that in that world for a period of time. Um, and I always come back from conferences with, you know, a certain energy about the work that we do. Um, and then the, the last thing I would say is like, find your community. So for me, it's like, I'm sorry, I almost said LinkedIn. It's not where I hang out. I hang out on Twitter a lot. And I get a lot of good information from Twitter by following other really smart SEOs who share their insights on Twitter. Um, you know, you got to be careful about who you follow because you can get a lot of garbage information. But curating who you're following on Twitter can be a really great path to making sure that you're up with the latest news, what's happening in the minute, but also like capturing some good sort of more evergreen insights from those folks. Um, but the reason I said find your community is because there is great communities on Reddit. So there's the big SEO forum and the tech SEO forum. And um, so whatever kind of works for you, but I would say some combination of, you know, those, those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Interesting. Um, I have the final question about future of SEO. Uh, can you forecast this future? Because, you know, uh, we still get this question that SEO is dead or not. Uh, what do you think? Do we, I need to do it today because it's overwhelmed and overpriced? Uh, and yeah, uh, it's really hard today to get uh, the first position, even in the top 10 results because of this competition. Can you tell, uh, do we need to consider SEO because med, uh, many other things are coming like metaverse, uh, yeah, uh, virtual mm. reality, augmented reality. What do you think about this? Year? Yeah. All right. So this is, this is, this is a tough and interesting <laughs> question. So in terms of the future of SEO and sort of like our job safety as an industry, kind of goes back to what we were saying before. Our job is to help clients not like game the system, not to trick Google but to create the best website or the best web page 
for whatever it is that we're trying to go after. And so while the tactics might change, like for instance, maybe in 10 years, nobody optimizes title tags because Google algorithmically writes all of them. Um, the idea of creating the best web page will still be a thing. Google's not going to come and make our websites for us, right? So they might, they might do all sorts of other things to take away our ability to impact performance. But what they can never take away our ability to do is to build a really great website, is to build really great content. And so I know it's kind of like a lame answer because Google has been telling us, just create great content and don't worry about it for years. Um, but e even whatever the future holds, right, um, we still have to make sure that that content can be crawled, can be indexed, that it is you know, accurate and representative of the messaging that we want to portray. And so I don't think any of those things are going to change anytime soon. Um, you know, will websites go away for virtual reality in the metaverse? Probably not, right? Um, not, not that I think it's too close in parallel because it's certainly more mainstream, but it was only like four years ago that we were like, oh my God, voice search. Voice search is going to take over. Everyone needs to get ready for voice search. I was one of those people. Newsflash didn't happen. Voice search is not like a big thing. Right. Um, it has not changed the way that we work. I don't believe it's going to change the way that we work because ultimately people still want this experience of reading stuff on a screen. And so, you know, will people shop the virtual Walmart? Sure. But a lot of people are probably going to think that that's a little bit much and they're going to want to just go to the Walmart website. Right. And so I don't think that metaverse or virtual reality is going to make a, a, a it's not going to like take away websites. It might make a dent in how much people visit websites and there's this other way that they can experience them in the same way that some people still experience brand interactions through voice search and they're asking their virtual assistants various things, you know, that's fine. But I think it's going to be a question of like market share, not like replacing, right? I don't think websites are going away. As long as there is websites, there will be a need to optimize them to show up in whatever the format of search results the future holds. And ultimately Google's not gonna make your website for you. And so we are still going to have to act as kind of the arbiters of ensuring that websites are high quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice words. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, uh, even uh, metaverse will come, that means uh, even uh, people will adapt to a new environment, uh, you still have time, you know, to adapt as well, you know, to change uh, technologies. Yeah. For example, if you have experience with SEO, uh, you can adapt much faster if you have this experience. Without experience, it's much harder, you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember when Gary, v, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk replied to this question, do we need to consider TikTok if uh, the US mm. will ban TikTok? And he replied, you know, if you have experience with TikTok, you can jump to any other social media, you know. Right. It's the same with with SEO, you, if you have this experience, you can adapt much faster because of this experience. Yeah, uh, John, it's a big pleasure to get in my show to learn from you to, to get all this valuable insights. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, sure. So, um, I, you know, you can add me on LinkedIn again. I think the, the place where I'm probably most active is on Twitter. So, John Morabito SEO, um, and then, um, yeah, those are, those are the best places to reach me. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and stay tuned.
Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.